Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Hey there, this is Nicole, the host and producer of the Found Down Podcast. Today's episode, I talked to Christian Letzinger. But before we get into that interview, I have some housekeeping stuff to talk about. Um, first of all, thank you for being gracious with me and um, understanding that I wanted to take a break. And so I did, and the break was good. Yeah, happy to be back and got some awesome interviews um, coming up. Nurses Night is going to happen. That's July 22nd. It'll actually be at my house um, from 5.30 to 8 o'clock. It's donation-based. If you want to go, um, check out unwindretreats.com, and there's a link for Nurses Night. It, the event's actually password-protected because I didn't want people showing up um, who weren't vaccinated or who, who weren't nurses, but I know the people here... Um, who listen to the show are so uh, vaccinated nurse is a password, lowercase vaccinated nurse. So I hope to see you here. Max capacity is 25 people. Everybody has to be vaccinated. Um, and, but anyway, it should be a really fun time. We'll have apps, we'll have drinks, we'll look at the skyline and we'll just um, have a really cool time talking to one another. And yeah, it'll be a great fun evening. So I hope to see you there. Okay. Also, the Morocco trip still happening. Um, there are just a couple spots left. No, September 18th through September 25th, all the details are on the Unwound Retreats site. So go and check that out as well. Um, and I'll be doing some, uh, actually, a nurse's retreat in Mexico in March um, in Sayulita. So if you are like want, love to travel and you want to get out of town, you you should just go to the Unwound Retreats um, website and sign up to my email list so you can stay in the loop. Okay, and for those of you that want to know how to support Found Down, or if you like the show, you missed it, you missed me while we were while I was gone. Um, here's some ways to support the show. Uh, writing a review and rating it is like super helpful to do on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Or the other thing that you can do is um, donate to the show. So if you wanted to go give a small donation to the show to cover the cost of making it making it happen. That would be amazing. You can go to founddownpodcast.com forward slash support to do so. I just want to say we had, two, I had two people donate to Found Down um, while I was on break and I just was blown away. So thank you, Katie. Thank you, Tiffany. You are amazing. Last but certainly not least, I want to shout out our sponsor, Nicole Kupchik, CNS and educator. You know, she's got some amazing courses, books, educational materials for nurses to help grow their practice. She actually is doing a live CCRN and um, PCCN certification review course this September and October. 
And listen, if you are interested in growing your practice, getting certified, I don't know about you, but where I work, we get paid a little bit extra if we are CCRN certified. And the other thing is, you know, you really helps you own your own practice and uh, such a great accomplishment to have, in my humble opinion. Uh, but anyway, check out her products at NicoleCupchickConsulting.com. Use the coupon code FOUNDDOWN20, FOUNDDOWN20. At checkout to get 20% off all our products. So go to NicoleCupchickConsulting.com today. All right. Thanks so much for bearing through all of my housekeeping business. You guys are awesome. Thanks for being so cool and um, being all right with me taking a break. And without any further ado, here's today's episode. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Found Down Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson, and I am so stoked. I've got Christian Letzinger on the show, aka Redbeard RN. He's an ICU nurse, a brand ambassador, an influencer, a dad, husband, student, also a travel nurse. And we're going to talk about his nursing trajectory, any stories along the way, and who knows what else. But before we get into any of that, how are you, Christian? I'm doing well. I'm hanging in there. I think that the standard state after this year is like a perpetual state of tired, but you know, <laughs> I'm hanging in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a year. I know there, there's like pandemic fine, right? You're like, it's uh, it's a, it's been a tough year. And um, I think we're all still like processing what we've gone through. Yeah. And so you're in, you're in Illinois, right? Correct. Rock. Cool. Um, can I want to talk about um, something that just came to mind, like right before we got into the show, and it has to do with this last year. You're like a new dad, um, yes. And you got COVID um, in the pandemic, and you're also a diabetic. And I just wanted to, in your public about that. Um, I just want to ask you about what was that experience like? And do you have any, now looking back, do you have any like reflections on it or do you want to talk about it at all? Yeah. So my daughter was born um, actually the day, I think the the very weekend that we were admitting our first COVID case to the ICU. Um, it was, we were sent home the day that Illinois instituted their like, you know, our two week stay at home order, all that stuff. Um, so she was born literally as it hit. Um, so that was a challenge in of itself. All the plans that we had for bringing a new baby home with family coming to help out with friends coming to help out, even just the little stuff like, you know, my sister would come and do dishes and watch the baby so we could shower or take a nap, all that stuff out the window because I was too terrified to bring people. I mean, obviously bring people around a new baby. And also I didn't want to risk exposing them. And so we, it really just became my wife and I and the baby, um, Juniper and, uh, 
people would drop groceries off for us at the, the doorstep or anything like that. But that was, I mean, that was the extent of our human contact for a long time. Um, it was difficult because, uh, you know, we, we initially planned on exclusively breastfeeding. Well, it didn't work out that way. And I found myself, you know, three days after the state shut down, going to grocery store after grocery store to target after target, trying to find formula oh for this God. tiny little baby in a absolute panic. Like how I, I'm a new dad. I have this thing that's fully reliant on me. And I can't find anything to feed it. It was terrifying. I finally found a target with one jug of formula that could last me until like an Amazon shipment would come in two days later. Um, So there was, it was just, it was a lot to take on in addition to just learning how to be a parent. Um, Oh my God. Because of those circumstances, I ended up taking, initially I was only going to take a few weeks because, you know, um, paternity leave in this country is not great. So I, uh, I ended up eating through all of my vacation and then taking a month unpaid, um, just to be present here and to be able to help my wife out and take care of the baby. Um, so I missed the first, I would consider our first wave. I, I came back maybe halfway through it. Um, but I missed that first chunk where we didn't really know what was going on, where policies and procedures were changing constantly. Initially, you can't wear a mask because it's going to scare the other patients. Now you (laughs) wear a mask all the time, but it can't be an N95. Now you can wear your N95 all the time if you want to. Like I missed that whole thing where we had no idea, you know, what things were changing constantly. So when I came back, it was somewhat more established, but we were still, I mean, 80 to 90% of our patients were COVID patients and most of them ventilated and proned. And um, so I definitely still got the thick of it. Um, uh, can I interrupt for a second? I'm just yeah. thinking about you in that scenario and having a young baby. Like, were you like, Oh shit, I don't want to bring this back to my, what was your level of fear because I mean, you have this added new, like you said, you have this being that's totally dependent upon you and obviously your wife too, right? Like how, w- how did you process all that? Yeah. So, I mean, those first two months I was fully removed from the situation. I only knew what was going on from coworker, like the coworker stories from the news, from social media. Like, so it was just, I had this immense fear of the unknown. Initially, I was going to clean out my shed in the back and put an air mattress in there because I was like, I, I have to isolate from them completely. Um, I ended up creating like a little um, like decontamination box outside my back door where I would get undressed every night. I don't have a garage. So unfortunately for my neighbors, <laughs> um, they they got to see me bleach everything and then de-blouse and sprint through the house. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so it was just, I mean, that first shift going back was, I, it was, I just had a pit in my stomach. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know. And it kind of felt like that for a while. And then you, we got into the groove of things and it was always just in the back of my mind that this fear that I could bring it home. Um, more so I was, I was terrified that what if I got it and then got my wife sick and then how do we, I mean, 
no one yeah. had been around to help with the baby. So no one was familiar with any of the processes we had been doing or anything like that. So how would I be like all of a sudden, Hey mom, I need you to watch our baby. We're too sick. Or, you know, what, what would happen? Yeah. So it was a lot of that kind of fear. So, which, I mean, that makes total sense. Um, I can't imagine I'm still, I feel like I'm still processing like your, how you guys expected to have raised Juniper in those first few months, like having family around and like that. Um, well, that was tough because especially it, Juniper is the very first grandbaby for my parents. So all I could think about was how they had their like grandparent experience taken from them. And my mom initially, when I told her like, no, we like, I, I, you can't hold her. We can't be around each other yet. She's like, well, how long do you think this is? How long do we do this for? How long do we go without being able to see her? And other than, you know, six feet apart outside with masks on, like, and I was like, you know, cause this was still those first couple of weeks. I was like, we just got to trust that everyone's going to do their part. And this will be short-lived. Boy, was I naive. Um, <laughs> I was like, people will do their part. We'll mask up. We'll wash our hands. We'll stay, yeah. we'll stay socially distant. Um, quickly learned that I was seeing the world through very rose tinted lenses at that point. Um, so, you know, then three months passed and she's like, well, what do you think now? Like, I don't know. We, it's still bad here. Like I, I just can't risk getting you guys sick. Like, I understand that we're taking that experience away from you, but I want her to be able to have grandparents someday. So like, I can't expose you. Right. Um, yeah. So it was a lot. Nobody wants to kill their parents. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so hard. Oh, your poor parents. I'm sure they've probably seen her now, but yes. So thank you to the vaccine. Yay. Thank God for that. I'm so excited. Well, I was so excited. And anyway, I'm still I'm still <laughs> very thankful for it. I just we have a different different battle now, which is yeah. trying to get people to take it. And then at some point in your when you went back to work, you contracted COVID. Yeah. So um, I think I ended up getting it from a coworker in the break room. Um, I Because I, I, I could not think of an instance where. I would have gotten it from a patient because I was given everything being a new father, being a type one diabetic, I was over the top precautious. Um, Also though, I mean, we can do everything in our power to reduce risk, but we'll never fully eliminate it. So it could have been from someone, I don't know. Um, But yeah, I ended up getting it right at the start of November. I, uh, and for some reason I had this feeling like two days before, no, the day before where I was just like, huh, something just doesn't feel right, but I don't feel, I don't feel sick. I don't feel anything. I just felt a feeling like just, uh, I don't know. So I ended up wearing a mask around the house the entire time. Um, and then slept on the couch away from the family. And the next morning I woke up and I felt just kind of dry. Like, you know, maybe I was mouth breathing throughout the night, just a little congested, wasn't anything big. And I went to work and within the first few hours, I developed like a really bad cough and a fever and pulled my manager aside and was like, I got to go. I'm, this is, I got to get tested. I'm pretty sure this was it. And sure enough, that 
was it. Um, within by that night, I was like super tachycardic, uh, had really bad cough, body aches, shortness of breath. And then for about two weeks, I was like laid up completely. Um, I, we got an air mattress in the basement. My parents dropped off an SPO2 monitor from Target so I could monitor that. Um, and I basically secluded myself from my wife and baby for two and a half weeks. Um, the majority of that was really, I was just kind of bedridden. Um, it was rough. That was the sickest I've ever been in my life. Uh, the shortness of breath was unparalleled. Like it, it definitely gave me not an appreciation, but a, a more of a deeper understanding for like our COPD patients that come in and they're in the tripod position. Cause that was like, I'd get up to try to go and I'd have to sit and recover for 10 minutes. Like it was, it was insane. Um, there were a couple times where if I wasn't a nurse, I probably would have gone to the hospital, but you know, we are kind of the worst patients. So I, uh, <laughs> right. you know, oxygen would hit 88% and I'd be like, all right, I guess it's time to self prone. Like <laughs> just lay down and self prone for a few hours and it'd come back up I'm like, okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a bit sketchy for a bit there. I lost my taste on like day three. So I, I quickly learned that texture is very much a part of the eating process. And a lot of my favorite foods maybe don't have a texture that I like if there's no taste associated. Oh. Um, so my favorite taste, so to say, became crunchy. <laughs> like dry <laughs> cereal and goldfish, which like as a diabetic, great, great for me. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And so, I, I mean, I was really not eating much and still, I mean, just due to this being so sick was consuming like, God, 30 to 50% more insulin a day just to keep my blood sugar under control um, wow. just because of how it was impacting my body. And I really was not eating much um, to even earn that. Your body was just working so hard yeah. to fight that infection. Wow. Were you scared at all? Terrified. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> absolutely. Especially, um, I would have nightmares. I would, I would have nightmares where I would fall asleep and like in my dream felt like I couldn't breathe and like I was being intubated and all this stuff. And one of the things that was hardest for me throughout this whole thing was the whole FaceTiming families. Like there's only so many times that you can hold an iPad in front of a sedated and vented patient's face while their family like says their final goodbye. Like, and so I would have these dreams where like my baby was on the FaceTime screen in front of me and I just wanted to be able to say something and I'm going to cry right now. <laughs> like oh, talking about it, like, yeah. um, yeah, it was it was hard just having having the knowledge of how quickly stuff could go south. Yeah. Um for some of the patients we had and it didn't matter young or old. I mean, I took care of a 23-year-old that was that did not make it. And like so having that knowledge that I already have one pre-existing comorbidity to this even though I'm well I was well controlled like my immune system shouldn't be any worse than anyone else's. You know, I had a good A1C um was very strict about my diabetes still, I had that thought like, okay, what if COVID, what if I survived the COVID, but something happens with the diabetes, I go into DKA and, you know, yeah. or maybe I do have to go to the hospital. What if they don't manage my diabetes appropriately? And just everything that I could think of. Yeah. That, I mean, it, 
sounds terrifying. I, I, we, we know too much, right? We've seen yeah. too much. Like, and I've said this to a lot of my friends. Like, I wouldn't wish. Well, I said this to my nurse friends. I wouldn't wish what we see our patients go through um, on anybody, right? Like, like you're especially like a loved one. Yeah. Like you wouldn't want any of that um, because it's so. I mean, whatever. It's scary. It's like it's too much. Um, thanks for opening up about that. I yeah. When <laughs> after you started to feel better, were you like, Whew, I made made it? Yes. Like. And no, because I dealt with like some really persistent tachycardia for months after, um, you know, my, my normal resting heart rate used to be 60 to 70 and it became 130, 140. It was like double. I mean, sitting on the couch, just trucking along. Um, when I went back to work after, you know, I, I'd get up to answer a call light and my heart rate would immediately jump to 190. I kind of constantly felt like my heart was jumping out of its chest. Um, wow. And that went on for a while. I ended up having echo done a couple like serial EKGs and it was always fine. It was always just like sinus tech with a couple PACs. Hmm. Um, and it's slowly like, I feel like every couple weeks it would drop down like five, 10 beats. Um, so now I'm kind of hanging out um, for the most part, like 80 to 90 is a resting heart rate. Um, but activity intolerance is still an issue. Um, trying to get back into running and it doesn't take much for my heart rate to hit 204. Oh shit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I get done with a two mile run and be like, okay, I feel like I should have done 26.2, but <laughs> someone yeah. told my heart that we're not doing that this serious right now. <laughs> like, Right. Um, wow. Did the, you know, I've heard of some people saying that after they get the COVID shot, the vaccines, after having had COVID, it made them feel better. Have you experienced any of that? Or I think that's you? when it started getting better for me. Um, the first, after each shot, the first 24 hours were pretty rough because it kind of enhanced that tachycardia, um, especially after the second one. The second one, I mean, I, I felt like I had like the flu and then the heart rate of 160, 170, just for no reason. Um, but I, I mean, I, I slept for like 20 hours straight, just tr try to get through it, woke up, felt like a brand new man. I was like, all right. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's gone. <laughs> and then slowly, uh, slowly things have started getting somewhat back to normal, I guess. Still random days with brain fog though. Um, like I said, I had initially lost my taste um, and that was gone for about two weeks, my taste and smell. Then it came back totally fine. And then two months down the road, um, I was cleaning up a patient and I was like, wow, that is the most putrid smelling poop I've ever smelled. That like That's insane. And I came home that night and I went to change the baby's diaper and I was like, that smells the exact same. That is so weird. Maybe it's like, I just feel like I've got that residual smell in my nose. I don't know. Right, right. The, the next morning woke up, had eggs. The eggs tasted what, like what that smell <gasps> would. So I don't know if it was something with like the sulfur component of it, but all of a sudden I, I could not eat eggs for months. Um, 
it, the, anything that was like sulfury smelled mm. like that smell. And so I was looking it up and a lot of people have been having that, like, um, is it cosmia or something along those lines, like an altered sense of smell after having COVID and it comes and goes. Hmm. I've heard of some people like say smelling cigarette smoke. Yeah. Um, cigarette smoke. I've heard rotten eggs. I've heard, um, one of my friends, lucky her, she was like, I just smell baby powder all the time. Like really? I couldn't get the baby powder one. I had to get the putrid shit smell. <laughs> like, I think I could still tolerate eggs if they tasted like baby powder, but totally. <laughs> no, I'm not going to sit here and eat turds. <laughs> oh my God. Um, well, I hope that you have continued recovery and get back to your baseline. I had eggs today, so we're <gasps> getting there. They didn't, they didn't smell or taste like poop. I'm they sure. didn't. <laughs> I've learned um, that hot sauce covers most of anything. Yay. Good. I just want to switch gears a little bit and that yeah. I want to talk about your nursing career. So did you start off in the ICU? Did you, did you graduate like go to college and then got, get into the ICU nursing like straight away? Yeah. Um, so before college, though, like I, I, nursing was not always my career path. Um, I wish I could say that I was one of those people that knew growing up, like, I'm going to be a nurse when I grow up. I'm, I'm going to dedicate my life to helping people. I, I was not. I was uh, anything arts related. I wanted to play music. I wanted to make movies. I wanted to do all that stuff. Um, I hated science. And so um, I was initially pursuing like audio and visual production stuff and did a mass communications program, was trying to do work with that and realized quickly that when it came time to like put food on the table with it, I, I did not have as much joy for that anymore. I felt like my creativity was kind of hindered. Mm. So then I started looking at all these different things. I tried elementary education. Um, I went back to um, media production, but like with a focus on documentary production. Um, and finally I was talking to my mom and she was like, you know, you have a good heart for people. Why don't you just try nursing? Like just do a C the CNA course. It's eight weeks of your life. Just try it out. Uh, at that point I was like, you know what? Why not? I had, I was also with being the artsy kid, I was not a very athletic or um, in shape person. So I was like 335 pounds at the time. And I had started taking interest in my own health and exercising, looking into nutrition, all this stuff. And the science just started to seem a little more interesting to mm -hmm. me. And so I was like, you know what? Why not? Let's give it a shot. And I ended up um, really falling in love with it um, when I started doing the CNA stuff. I was like, okay, I need to figure out what I have to do to become a nurse. And my clinical instructor for my CNA program was like, I really see you in the ICU. I think you should shadow check that out. Like, I feel like that's where you would be a good fit. And so I kind of started looking into that and realized that I really liked that. Um, did all my prereqs, got into um, my BSN program and then started in the ICU right away after graduation. Sweet. Sweet. I also was a new grad in the ICU and didn't, and went back to school because I wasn't, didn't have it all figured out. Um, and I just want to just 
say a plug here. Yes, I do think that people can do just fine if they start new grads, start as a new grad in the ICU. Yes. Did you start? I mean, I'm not like going to say it was a cakewalk, but no, I mean, no, you're you're learning. You learn a lot in nursing school. Not enough to be a nurse. Um, <laughs> like the the real learning starts that first day on the unit, right? Like that's when you realize, like, oh, I don't know if I know anything. <laughs> um, so then you're learning how to be a nurse, but also an ICU nurse on top of that. It yeah, was, it was interesting. Do you remember your first day, like first day being precepted or one of your, I was just talking with some of my nurse friends about like some of these experiences, like when you first start and you're like, whoa. Yeah. I don't know if I truly remember. I feel like I was blacked out for the first couple of weeks. (laughs) Just blacked (laughs) out in fear. Yeah. (laughs) No, um, I do. I, I, I remember my first there's certain things from my first time or like my first couple of weeks that I remember. I remember like my first code, um, those kinds of things, but I don't remember necessarily the very first day. Yeah. Did you start off? What kind of ICU did you start off in? So it's technically, it was a, like a coronary care unit, but it really, so there was one section of rooms that was only CV ICU. So all the open heart patients, um, and then the other 22 rooms, 24 rooms, yeah, 22 rooms were all just mixed ICU. So it was a level two trauma. Um, so we would do some of the like minor trauma stuff that if it didn't get flown to the level one, we would take, um, we would do neuro, uh, like acute kidney injury, um, sepsis, kind of everything, anything critical what this is going to sound weird to people who listen who don't who aren't a nurse we have some people that are lay folks but what's your favorite kind of patient or what what like uh anyone requiring crrt so uh, continuous renal replacement therapy i really like that i like troubleshooting that system i like i like a super septic patient that needs crrt um there's just so many cogs moving at one time that you really have to keep an eye on and troubleshoot and with titrating your drips and, you know, um, monitoring your labs for that. I, I, I think that is one that challenges me and, and keeps my brain going. Um, uh-huh. yeah. Um, thank you for sharing. I just find that. And in- I find that interesting, you know, what about um, you? Mm, well, I like, so I'm very Mickey. Um, so I like the can't breathe, have to be on a ventilator and, um, or, or you know, septic and super mm-hmm. sick. Um, and just getting them. I don't know. I mean, I like this super sick patient where you're looking at the ABG and making, you know, doing these like tiny titrations mm-hmm. to either their vent or, you know, their... And you're, you know, have to work with their presser requirements and um, just trying to, you know, a lot of the MICU is we get all kinds of random folks. So it's like, yeah, and can be so interesting. Um, And so I like those like medically complex patients where we don't maybe completely understand what's happening or what got them to the place that they're in. But um, yeah, just 
super, super interested in that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I've never branched out. I've stayed at the same place for forever because I love where I work and the people I work with, but I do want to do that at some point. Um, how long did you stay at your current place? And then what drove you to travel nursing? Um, so I was at my place for, since I started, uh, so five and a half years. Um, I did one PRN gig from like 2017 to 2019 in a neurotrauma burn ICU. Um, in addition to the other one, um, that can be a story for another time, but that led to, I mean, working 70 hours a week between two ICUs led to some burnout. Um, but that's kind of what sparked that burnout led to some stuff that then sparked my Instagram and which led to, um, like my figs ambassador stuff and really kind of grew that whole side of this nursing thing that I would have never expected. But, um, I was at my ICU for yeah five and a half years, and then really what it it, it was a couple things. Um, I felt like I was getting not lazy, not but I wasn't challenging myself enough. Um, I was in a comfort zone maybe, and then my wife had been you know since we had the baby. Um, she had not been working all year and we really just needed to try to make up income. And especially with being in grad school, I don't want, I didn't want to have to work full time once I start clinical. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be able to try to create a little bit of a nest egg for that. So that was kind of the other determining thing was just being able to make up some finances. Mm -hmm. Um, can we go back to your Dumb, two double two jobs in 70 hours a week yeah. um you did that for two years um it was a yeah from it was about a year and a half um summer of 2017 to winter of 2019 i quit because um december 27th 2018 is when i was diagnosed with diabetes and i thought for sure that it was something that i had done to myself because I was working so much and not sleeping enough and hadn't really been taking care of my body as I should have been. Um, because initially I was diagnosed as a type two diabetic, um, through months of lifestyle change, losing weight, adding medications, all these things and fighting it and still not getting anywhere with diabetes progress. We realized that it was uh, latent autoimmune diabetes of adulthood. So I ended up becoming fully insulin dependent um, just because my immune system decided to take out my pancreas. Um, so I was, I had been doing it up until that point, you know, a year and a half of about 60 to 70 hours a week between the two. Basically your existence is just work and sleep. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's, um, it's insane. I, I, I can't even work three twelves in a row anymore. No, like, well, I, I, I did it. Cause I thought I, one of the nurses that I work with at my main job was doing that between both, but she's been a nurse forever. She is like, I would have her treat me over any physician or any other provider. Like that's just how brilliant she is. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought in my head, I was like, I'm going to do what she's doing. 
and I'm going to get all this experience. I'm going to become this super nurse. I'll have this cardiac background. I'll have this medical ICU background. I'll have neurotrauma burn on top of that. And what happens instead is when you're working that many hours is you just go into survival mode and you don't retain any of that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just, it's a, you know, fight or flight style at that point, you know, you're just going on adrenaline. And so, um, I learned very quickly that that maybe is not the best approach to learning. <laughs> yeah. I'm all your, yeah. I don't know. All you can do is just like eat, sleep, work, eat, sleep work yeah and then maybe what have a day off where you six on one off (sighs) wow i don't wow that is so and so insane um i don't recommend it bad decision (laughs) hey i mean well some of what we do is live and learn right life is a process of learning continual learning um i've certainly done things are that anyway I, I regret personally. So that cuts you to a place where you were burnt out. I, do, I am interested in how um, that that led you on this path to talk about burnout. Um, what? Yeah. T- can you talk to me about that for a minute? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was just realizing that I didn't want anyone to experience what I, what I had experienced. Um. I didn't want anyone to get to the point where, you know, cause it's very easy as a new grad or even, you know, a couple years into it when you're finally starting to feel comfortable. Um, it's very easy to be taken advantage of by an organization. Um, because you don't want to say no, you don't want to let your team down like, Oh, come in. We're short staffed. Well, I can't, Oh, but we're going to be really struggling tonight. If you don't like, all right, I'll come in. Like it, it's very easy for that to happen. And I, it got, I didn't want anyone to experience what I had experienced and much of mine was self-inflicted. Um, but I saw very quickly how, um, you could be taken advantage of. And if you didn't learn to say no, um, you would burn out. And so that's kind of where I started trying to promote some of that. I mean, we're people pleasers by nature. Most of us are yes. like perfectionists, people pleasers. We we want to do the right thing. We want to help. Like sometimes I feel like we're slightly in these like, and no offense to my place of work because I actually really like them, but like I feel like we're kind of in a little bit of an abusive relationship. Yeah. Um. And it's, in the yeah, I sorry, just made ahead. that comparison the other day because we were talking about you know, especially with this year of COVID where it's just like the, the saving grace for ICU for me was, yes, we saw a lot of tough stuff, a lot of really sad stuff, but there was always cases that we would have these amazing outcomes. And it was directly due to our interdisciplinary teamwork. I saw stuff that I caught that I could relay to a physician that we could get treatment change, anything. Like I saw, I saw the fruits of that labor with COVID that wasn't the case anymore. And so we were kind of talking about that now that we've started getting more of our like normal ICU patients back in, it's almost like, I don't want to fully compare it to being gaslit, but like Mm -hmm. you have all these abusive cases where it's just sad, sad, sad. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, but here's this like perfect patient. Remember you loved this. This is how we used to be. Right. Come back. (laughs) Come back. Like, oh yeah, no, you're right. I will stick around a little longer. Oh, Yeah. 
it's uh it's so hard it's really hard um i mean i completely understand that like we when you love what you do in in moments when you love what you do it's not all the time but like it's compelling it like come back it it makes you want to stay and i do think like i don't know about you if you've seen this um but when you know for us you have our we have our new staff and i love i love having new staff um come on but there's just a little bit of a pattern that happens where those are the folks that just want to do a shit ton of overtime mm-hmm. and then but then like then it totally shoot, burns them out like because they've been work, working 16 hour shifts and coming back and anyway i Yeah, no, I agree. Um, And that's kind of my hope with some of the Instagram stuff is uh, reaching people who might be vulnerable to wanting to do that because it's nice. I mean, the money is enticing, especially when you've got someone who's offering incentive or something like that. um, Where You're like, oh, well, that paycheck, I could do this. I could do that. Um, Money isn't always the answer. I know that it can sometimes be a privileged thing to say because there's some people that really right. are in systems and organizations or stuck in contracts, anything like that, where they have to in order to make ends meet. And so I don't want it to ever come across like as a privileged thing to say like, no, don't work. You'll be fine. But you got to be able to find that balance and making sure that you are taking care of yourself and prioritizing prioritizing yourself because if you, if something happens to you, that job's going to be listed the next day, they're going to fill that void. So you gotta, you gotta make sure that you're doing what you can to, to make sure you're in it for the long haul. Can I ask you a little bit about your thoughts on burnout? Um, so (laughs) there was before the pandemic, we were as a nursing profession, we were really starting to talk about burnout, right? What do you think it is now? Like, what, what do you, <laughs> like, um, yeah, I think, I uh, I think, okay. So again, I, I love the organization I was working at. Um, I, all of my coworkers, um, I think they did really well with trying to navigate some stress. And, um, as far as like my, direct leadership, my manager and operational supervisor um, did really well at trying to navigate stress. I think a lot of organizations as a whole this year decided to take that whole idea of self-care and reducing burnout and almost make like a bastardization of it um, where it became like, well, no, you're, you're burning out because you're not doing enough outside of here like yes we've we've promoted the whole (laughs) the whole like practicing mindfulness uh, exercising making sure you're getting enough sleep the stuff that we can do on our part um which is helpful yes that's necessary for self-care and for reducing burnout but for an organization that has toxic policies in place and poor staffing or is using and abusing nurses to then say like you got to do self-care you got to do this like you can do all that in the world but if I mean, I can, I can sit and do mindfulness for 30 minutes a day and <laughs> yoga and get myself zen. But if I walk into a toxic work environment, what's the point? So I, th- I think 
after this year, a lot of that became a almost like a shifting of blame type of thing from organizations to nurses on, well, you didn't do enough to prevent burnout. You're not resilient enough. Yeah. And I mean, there, there's plenty of other resources out there that are far more knowledgeable about this than I am, like our, our good friend, Anna, uh, the right. burnout book. Um, I mean, she's got so many good resources on it. I'm really interested to see what's going to happen, you know, in our profession. Um, I just want to make a point, and I'm sure you know this too, that they're like when they when you talk about burnout, 80% of it is, an, is at an organizational level. So, and 20% is on the individual. So, 80%, that's the lion's share of the problem, right? Mm-hmm. So, fuck those guys. Sorry. I just saw an interesting take on it today. Um, the dude nurse on Instagram had posted that, you know, kind of an alternative take that it's probably a hell of a lot cheaper to pay for a healthcare associated pressure ulcer or a healthcare associated infection than it would be to hire that extra nurse and pay their salary and benefits like the extra nurse that would improve the staffing um, to maybe prevent one of those things from happening. Cause we always are taught like how expensive a pressure ulcer is like how much more Mm -hmm. that adds. But when you put it in perspective compared to what maybe staffing a floor appropriately would cost it probably it might not equal out Hmm. and i thought that was kind of an interesting take on it and that's why there's this whole myth of you know a nursing shortage where it's really it's not there's plenty of nurses it's just they're not hiring enough to fill that gap yeah right i keep thinking about that too someone else I don't know who said it first or where I heard it first, but that idea of the nursing, there's no nursing shortage. Um, we're just not, sorry guys, valued enough. <laughs> we're not valued enough. I was sitting in a, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm venting a little bit, but like I was working my ass off yesterday. Um, no, actually Sunday. And I was thinking, you know, we provide where I work anyway, we provide such good care. And we work to the max of our license and we really try super hard. We work so hard to provide this, like the the best care for our patients as possible. I was like, just thinking about that life-saving care, that excellent care, like we, we really should be paid more. We also should be compensated for the year that we've had. Like, anyway, I'm, it's no, I full, <sighs> fully agree. I hope that I don't know. I hope that somewhere in there, like, there is some acknowledgement and and by financial compensation. You know, we're we, we're working on our contract. Sorry, um, I wonder. I know I'm like kind of mad inside. <laughs> um. Uh, I, you should practice uh, some meditative breathing really quick I should. and some mindfulness. <laughs> I should. I need to. In what is it? I have to stimulate my parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you're. I know we're probably running short on time, but I want to talk. We might have to do a part two. We might have to. Are you in graduate school for your DNP? Uh, no, I'm doing uh, a master's for now. Okay. Um. 
my thought process with that is that I may eventually go back for DNP, but maybe once I'm at an organization or in a, a spot that they'll pay for it, um, try to utilize that. Um, I'm currently doing acute care, although after oh, this cool. last year, I'm not sure if that's where I want to stay. I'm still early enough in the program where I could pivot to FNP. Um, I could see myself maybe doing something with endocrine, um, given my recent diagnosis, relatively recent diagnosis, um, and maybe being able to reach people because, I mean, my concept of treating diabetes before having diabetes was so rudimentary. Um, You know, I'd get these patients who come in in DKA and I'd be like, all right, now remember when you get out of here, we just got to watch our carbon take and blah, 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 blah. And I'm sure every single one of them is like, all right, asshole, oh, <laughs> you have, you have no clue. And now I get it. It's, it's, so, it's so much more than that. It is on your mind 24 seven. And I get it. I get getting burnt out on it and just being like, Hey, guess what? I'm not going to count carbs today. And I'm kind of, I don't think I'm going to shoot myself with insulin. Like I'm just I'm going to eat what I want. Like I'm a normal functioning pancreas, pancreas again. And so I get it. Like I get getting burnt out on it. So I think being able to use that experience to reach people and be like, Hey, so no, this sucks. Um, 100% full stop sucks, but let's figure out what things we could do to maybe make it suck a little less. It doesn't have to be a massive overhaul of changes. Let's start small and work our way up. You have to have a Coca-Cola every day. Fine. We'll allot for that, but we got to make a change somewhere else. Uh, to, to make sure that you're allowing room for that, you know? So, um, I, I could see myself maybe doing something with endocrine. I don't know. We'll see. Mm. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> Me neither. Me neither. I feel like you could, I mean, honestly, you could do so much. You probably make such an impact if you went into endocrine because of your, you know, your personal story. And I'm like, yeah, you should come back on the show. We should talk about diabetes. Be- or yeah. in- because honestly, I'm one of those nurses, right? I'm one of those nurses that has a rudimentary understanding of diabetes. And, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people out there, same. So, yeah, I would gladly. Man, I think we do have to do part two because I could <laughs> talk to you for a lot longer. What has given you light recently? I mean, other than my daughter and my wife, and I mean, the pandemic was definitely hard, but being able to spend time with them um, has been so immensely helpful. And now like uh, Juniper just learned to blow kisses and so now <laughs> she does that, and it just, my heart melts. But from like a work standpoint, I'll be honest, uh, the traveling gig has been great um, because I, it, it's a harder hospital to be at than where I was at, but I don't have all the ancillary stuff to worry about. I I loved my last gig and being on committees and doing all that, but it's kind of nice just to show up and take care of patients and put all of my effort into that and not have to worry about any of the like organizational bureaucratic stuff that has to, you know, that you have to do. I can kind of fly under the radar. Um, I'm not there to impress anyone. I'm just there for patient outcomes and and to make sure that my patients have the care they deserve. And so it's been nice to be able to just show up and do that. Mm. And do you feel, so do you feel like it's a little bit freeing then? And like, 
Yeah. Because now, now you're thinking, okay, well, I want to maybe work in a different location or I want to do, does it give you some flexibility that you didn't have before? It does. Um, it's an interesting thing to navigate with having a baby because, you know, I, it's kind of an uncertain world as a travel nurse because you could be canceled at any time. Um, your contract could be canceled or trying to find a new contract there, you know, not everything always pans out. There's this last year really increased the market for travelers. Um, so it's a very saturated market. So there's a lot of competition now. Um, whereas I think had I started prior to the pandemic, I'd be in a little bit of a better spot, but I'm enjoying it so far. It's been cool. That's great. I Just learning that. how different ICUs do things, you know, learning, um, the, the different processes that eat, you know, at a different place. It, it's, it's cool. Hmm. Yeah, that is cool. Well, I mentioned it before, like lifelong learning. I mean, it's great. It's yeah. great. We, it's an opportunity to learn more and, um, yeah, I'm tempted to be honest. My coworkers <laughs> are going to be like, no, um, that's great. I'm glad that work is giving you a little bit more joy than, or you can just show, you can just show up and do your best for your patients and then yeah. come home to your family. Yeah. It's been nice. Do you have any closing thoughts for the show? Oh gosh. I should have come prepared for that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> That's no, just no, be, low pressure. Yeah. No, just be sure you're taking care of yourself, but also making holding your organizations accountable um, to make sure that they're providing the, the best conditions possible for you. And that's a, it's a hard battle, but it's something we got to start fighting for more. Absolutely. And drink more water. Oh, <laughs> right. That's just always good advice for any occasion. Just drink more water as well. Um, I'm on TikTok and I always enjoy that when you see like a TikTok of like, hey, daily reminder to drink your water. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate talking to yeah, you. Thank I you. Feel like I'm glad it, we did this. It was super great. Thanks. I um, would love to have you back and I could seriously talk to you for a lot longer, but um, have a great day in, uh, I was like Ohio, no, Illinois. And, um, I'm going to close this out as I always do and say, stay safe and stay sane. And we'll see you on the next one. Thanks Thank so you. much, Christian. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you are listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one.